This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Welcome to the Mini Break, your date podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Thursday, October 12th. It's tough to pick what the signature event is happening right now in the pro tennis world. Of course, we've got four tour-level tournaments to choose from, 1,000-level action for the men in Shanghai, a WTA 500 in Zhengzhou. For the women, you also have two WTA 250s happening right now in Seoul and Hong Kong. Each draw fascinating for different reasons. And of course, we went through most of those reasons on yesterday's podcast. What I want to do on today's show for all of you listeners is recap the last 24 hours of results. I'm not sure there was a single shock, a single surprise in the outcomes we saw over the last 24 hours, but that certainly doesn't mean things didn't get interesting in the tennis world. We got plenty to talk about on today's show. Of course, I want to start in Shanghai two three-set quarterfinal matches defining the singles results on the day. You know I was locked in for Sebi Korda versus Ben Shelton. Korda ultimately from a set down earns a 7-6 third set victory over the 20-year-old American Shelton. He might be 21 now. I know the birthday's coming up. The more broad point, of course, though, is Sebi Korda has found something to end this 2023 season. Semifinals or further now in four of his last five events. Obviously, this result, the most significant of the group at it, as it comes, excuse me, at a 1,000-level event in Shanghai. But for longtime Sebi Korda stockholders like myself, this last six-week run has been precisely what we've been waiting to see out of Sebi Korda, right? We've always known what his ceiling can be in an individual match, but the hardest thing to do in tennis isn't to put together one good week of success. It's to put together three consecutive weeks of success, six consecutive weeks of success, and that's precisely what we're seeing Korda do to end the 2023 season. I want to talk about the mechanics of his victory over Ben Shelton and, of course, why ultimately I feel so highly still about Seppi Korda, despite some of the ups and downs we have seen early in his career. Again, Korda a winner in Shanghai, as was Hubi Horkot's three sets over Fabian Marazan. That was just a weird match, a funky one that I want to spend a little bit of time talking about here on today's show as well. But again, we'll talk Shanghai, we'll talk Zhengzhou, Seoul, Hong Kong as well. Again, I don't know if there was a single shocker in any of those WTA Tour events over the past 24 hours. Certainly to see Anjabur withdraw from her quarterfinal match in Zhengzhou due to injury, that's disappointing. But, you know, she won her round of 16 match before withdrawing prior to the start of the quarterfinals and other seeds in action, Krejcikova, Kasekina, and others at other sites that these WTA events, excuse me, are occurring at. They all look the part, I thought, on Thursday, certainly the most interesting WTA match to me on the day was 
Layla Fernandez three-set victory over Mira and Dreve, and I want to spend some time talking about that match in particular on today's show because it was a fascinating contrast in styles. It was a fascinating fight back from Layla Fernandez to maneuver her way through using various different tactics to break down the game of Andriva. Uh, of course, you also had another big win for Linda Fruvertova, who seems to have finally regained her form as well down the season's home stretch. Again, I don't anticipate this is going to be the longest podcast we've had in mini break podcast history. This one will be more to set the scene for what's coming up this weekend. And speaking of which, I will try my best to have a podcast for all of you listeners tomorrow. I'm not certain I'll be able to provide podcasts on Saturday or Sunday. The reason for that is that Crack Rackets is taking a much-deserved vacation. Certainly, Daniel Westhoff needs to just be away from his computer for three days. He's out of town this weekend. I'm actually headed to Boston for my college roommate, Michael, and my birthday. It's a trip we like to try and do every year. And so, Again, I'll be out of town. Westoff will be out of town. Now, that doesn't mean there's a guarantee there won't be podcasts if something remarkable happens, some sort of breaking news that, again, needs to be discussed immediately. As always, I don't travel anywhere without my focus, right? I don't travel anywhere without my headset. I don't travel anywhere without being ready to podcast at a moment's notice. But if there is no episode tomorrow, if there is no episode Saturday, if there is no episode Sunday, it's because Westoff and I are indeed taking a much needed vacation as we prepare for the season's home stretch, of course. Again, what we're doing on today's show, Shanghai, Zhengzhou, Seoul, Hong Kong, that's the agenda. A shout out to all of you listeners for tuning day in, day out. A shout out, of course, to our dear friends at Tennis Point for their support as well. Tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. All right, let's get right into it. Again, I don't anticipate this will be the longest podcast in Crack Rackets history. I want to start with Shanghai, where we only have two singles results to discuss, certainly as it relates to our interests here at Cracked Rackets. I'm always monitoring in the race who's the best American man right now. Certainly, Paul, Fritz, Tiafo all establishing themselves as top 15 players this season, all making various runs at slams or 1,000-level events at different moments. It's been a signature season, a much-needed signature season for American men's tennis. And what makes it a signature season is not having not only having those three guys who are ostensibly by age in their primes achieving high level high levels of prime success it's that you know right waiting in their wake is this talented, maybe even more talented group of younger Americans, certainly now headlined by top 30 players in Sepi Corda, Ben Shelton, who go head-to-head in this Shanghai quarterfinal. And look, for both guys, this is one of the signature results of the season, obviously for Ben to make quarterfinals or further at both Australian Open and U.S. Open. Those are the signature, signature results. But keep in mind, Ben Shelton has won consecutive matches at just three tour-level events this year. Australia, U.S. Open, and now here at Shanghai. For him to beat a Roman Safulin the way he did in the round of 32, for him to beat, obviously, Yannick Sinner 7-6 in the third in the round of 16, these are the sort of matches, the sort of victories that we just haven't seen Ben Shelton earn Even at slams where, yes, the wins over Tommy, Tiafo, that was certainly a credible and almost signature run for him at this 2023 U.S. Open. But 
Do you remember who Ben Shelton faced in the Australian Open round of 16? I do because I'm weird and it was J.J. Wolf, but I'm sure some of you don't remember that data point in what was otherwise a pretty forgettable run up until he reaches the quarterfinals and faces Tommy Paul at that Australian Open. More broadly, here's the point. These are two guys who needed this sort of run to end the season. Two guys to just, again, further ensconce themselves inside the top 30 and further ensconce their credibility as top 30 players because for Sebi Corda, again, who gets the victory, 6-7, 6-2, 7-6, by the way, 12-10 first set breaker goes the way of Ben Shelton. Shelton then fights back from 6-1 down in the second set breaker before he blinks, misses a plus one forehand. Sebi Corda then able to close things out, closing the net. Puts away a high forehand volley, 8-6, third set breaker, match is done. Uh, it was great to see the smile, the respect those two clearly have for one another and the handshake they shared after the fact. But again, for Sebi Corda, who now makes a fourth semifinal in his last five events, where were those other three semifinals? That's the big thing here. Because obviously Sebi Corda, and I know I'm jumping a little bit all over the place today. I apologize for that. I knew at the moment... I was going through the intro and I looked up and I was like, oh, you're four minutes into this intro and I don't know if you've actually said anything yet, Alex. And that said, you're four minutes in. You're too far now to go back and restart. Anyways, I apologize for the scatterbrain here. For Sebi Corda, where were those other three semifinals? They were all 250 events, otherwise pretty forgettable draws, right? Like Winston-Salem, where he makes his first semifinals the week before the U.S. Open. It's great that he was able to get some wins under his belt, especially for a guy who's dealt with injuries all season long. But again, very light draw in Winston-Salem the week before that U.S. Open. Of course, he loses first round of the U.S. Open as well, which didn't do him any favors. Semifinals 250 in Zhuhai. Again, I remember Karen Hatchinov won that event and beat Sebi Korda in those semifinals. And for Hatchinov to win his first title in five years, that was a big deal for me. Uh, but I think for the common tennis fan, they weren't paying clue too close of attention to Zhu Hai. Similarly, with all due respect to the run he made to the final in Astana a couple of weeks ago, losing to Manorino, Astana was the undercard event to what was a fascinating Beijing 500 that, of course, had Zverev, Medvedev, Sinner, and Alcaraz in the semifinals. So if you're a mainstream tennis fan, and this is why I keep bringing up Sebi Korda and the success he's had of late. Were you paying attention to what he was doing at the 250s? Probably not. But now you certainly begin to see how that 250 success, how that momentum built can translate into the larger, uh, higher caliber, excuse me, would be the better phrasing, higher caliber events such as this 1000 in Shanghai, where, of course, Korda has beaten a Daniil Medvedev, has beaten a Francisco Sarandolo, now beats a third consecutive top 20 player in Ben Shelton. And look, what Korda did particularly well in the Shelton match was hold his ground, I thought, more than anything else. I thought his ability to hold the baseline on the return of serve. There's a return he hits. I want to say it was for 4-1 in the second set, uh, in the third set breaker, excuse me, where Shelton blasts to serve 140 miles per hour into Sebi Corda's body. I can't emphasize this enough. And again, I hate to try and equate my playing experiences to what these pros are experiencing. But when you get jammed with that sort of pace into the body, sorry, West stuff that you're going to have to edit this. You're just f***ed. Like, there's literally just nothing 99.8% of humans, even the elite of the elite athletes in tennis, can do with that serve. 
Djokovic holds the baseline well enough to, you know, catch that ball a little bit early, get out of the way. His footwork is immense enough. Alcaraz sometimes positions himself so far behind the baseline of Medvedev as well that perhaps they will, again, give themselves more time, seed that ground to give themselves a cleaner swing. But then you're seeding so much space to quarter and you saw... Uh, are ceding so much space to your opponent. And again, we've seen players take advantage of that Medvedev spacing at an elite level. Here's the thing. Sebi Korda held his ground, caught it as a backhand, and flicked a backhand inside-in return winner. There's like three people in the world who can do that. Djokovic, Zverev, Korda. That's why I always put him in that caliber of backhands because the strength, the size, the ability to drive through it, it's just immense. I thought he held his ground pretty well on the forehand return as well, though credit man to Ben freaking Shelton, who just, you know, again, I've made this point before, and I don't think this is a bad loss by any stretch of the imagination for Shelton, who breaks quarter for 6-5 in the first set, immediately gets broken right back for 6-all, again, somehow digs his way out of that breaker 12-10. Each guy had set points in the first set, Shelton digging himself out of a 6-1 deficit to even get to 6-all and have a feasible look in that second set, uh, third set breaker, a testament to him as a competitor, a testament to him knowing who he wants to be as an athlete out on court. I still don't think Ben Shelton knows exactly what he wants to do, not when he's on serve, because his ability to impose himself with his serve, with his plus one, his eagerness, willingness, and ability to execute moving forward, it's elite. Already, and that's going to be the foundation of what will, I imagine, be a long, fruitful, successful career. But in the midst of a baseline rally, I don't know what if Ben knows exactly what he wants to do yet at this level. If he, you know, he doesn't have those established two-cross, one-line patterns. I think he does a great and better job absorbing pace on his backhand wing than he does on his forehand wing, but... Again, like obviously Ben's objective is to cause chaos, is to see a short ball, is to move forward behind it. But how he goes about procuring that short ball from an opponent, I still think he is trying to figure out, point in, point out in his career. And yet, you know, again, did a pretty good job in doing that in this match, in in injecting physicality, extending rallies with Korda. I thought Korda did a great job keeping the ball out of Ben's strike zone. I thought he played the backhand slice really well. And that off-speed backhand slice that just stays so low and he drives so well through the court, it is effective. The fact that he steps into his forehand now just so much more assertively. That's why Sebi Korda's always been an apple of my eye as a future top-tier prospect because that technique is so pure because those weapons are so glaringly obvious to the eye test. I mean, look, Sebi was just better at the tennis. He was better at generating free points for himself. Again, when, uh, not free points for himself, but patterned points would be the better statement for himself, organized points for himself. He didn't need to always be bailed out with that big first serve in the way. Ben has that always available to him, but really needed to ride that in this match. It was outstanding tennis. Uh, As high of a level as I really think I've seen Ben play from the baseline against any top-tier opponent, Ben's getting better. Like It's very clear having his father an outstanding coach, obviously, in Brian Shelton, back in his box, back working with him. It's just injected a degree of confidence and stability that every young player could thrive from. And Ben's thriving right now. He has measurably gotten better throughout the course of this season. Again, his ability to extend rallies and 
extend them from the baseline without using bailout slices against Corda. I don't think he would have been able to do that even a month ago, let alone eight months ago, a year ago, when he was having this challenger success. I mean, again, that Ben's top 20 and he's under 500 in the, on the year speaks to his talent. But Seppi Corda now 13-3 and three over his last five events. Obviously, that disclu- uh, discounts a withdrawal loss in the semifinals of Winston-Salem. But, I mean, again, like, Where's the bad loss? Five sets to Fucevic. Okay, you want one back at the U.S. Open. Straight sets to a Hatchnoff who went on to win the event. Three sets to a Manorino in the final of an event. And now wins over Medvedev's Rundelow and Shelton to get to the semifinals where he has a very winnable match against Hoopy Hercots. There's just nothing Sebi Korda can't do. There's he he can do a little bit of everything. We'll use the double we'll use it in a positive instead of the double negative. He's immensely. It, it, it's so fascinating because again, his technique, how like the, the the clarity in Sebi Corda's tennis compared to just everything you get out of Ben, it, it's such fascinating contrast because they do both. Again, it's just it's two different ways to skin a cat, right, or whatever that expression is. They go about it in such different ways, and yet it was such fascinating display of athleticism, power, size, speed. You get excited about Tiafo, Paul, Fritz right now because you do feel like they have a three, five-year window to be top 10, 15 players. But, man, you could argue those are prospects three, four, five now in the American rankings, that given their combination of youth and just what you see with the weapons, with the eye test. Do Corda and Shelton have higher ceilings in your mind right now than Fritz, Tiafo, and Paul? It's a legitimate question to ask. I am certain... It is one we will ponder at some point in a November, December pod. Who has the highest ceiling right now of anyone in American men's tennis? I think Alex Mickelson has to be on that list. I think some people would 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 say you have to throw a Martin Dom, given his size, his weapons, his youth on that list as well. I mean, again, plenty of fun things to watch for, even if neither guy is a uh, even if neither semifinalist is a top. 15 players. Seppi Korda going to take on Hoopy Hercots. Hercots, by the way, talk about needing this run, reaching the semifinals. Three-set win over Fabian Marazan. Now he's yet to face a top 40 player here in Shanghai. But look, 36-19 and 19 overall in the year. He's made semifinals at two of his last three events. And what were two of those last three? Cincinnati semifinals, Shanghai semifinals. He made Canada round of 16, where he lost in three sets, 7-6 in the third to Alcaraz. By the way, both his Canada-Cincinnati losses to Carlos Alcaraz made round of 16 at Wimbledon as well for what it's worth. He's playing much better ball down the season's home stretch after a very forgettable first third of the year. I know he made a round of 16 in Australia before getting knocked out by the aforementioned Corda. Wins a title in Marseille after that second round, second match exit Indian Wells, second match exit Miami. His most notable clay court result was a round of 16 at the Monte Carlo Masters. That's really it. Didn't make a final during the grass court season, which I feel like we've seen Hubie do in at least each of the last two seasons. What, he won Hala back in 2022 Semifinals of Wimbledon, so that was the notable run in 2021-2019. Didn't do much notable on the grass court, but was still playing challengers back in 2019. Here's the point. Needed this one. This is, the, the again, 
just to solidify his spot in the top 28, there's no chance anyone's going to catch him now the rest of the year. He's back up to number 15 in the live rankings as a result of this run, 15 in the points race. Says, well, that feels about right. Hubie Hercot's 15th best player in the world. And again, an opportunity to do some serious climbing here. He's the favorite, according to Tennis Abstract. And should he win the title, top 10 starts to become feasible. For him to end the season, a title will bring him back up to number 11 in the world, which again, if he can finish the world 11, has Hubie Hercots been the 11th best player this season? That he's in that discussion maybe speaks to part of the madness of the players ranked 6 through 13 on the list or how thin those margins are, but... Man, credit to Hubie. Three sets over Fabian Marozan. Again, it was a very feely match. A lot of slices, a lot of pushes forward, a lot of just, again, uncomfortable positions where balls were being hit on the court. And again, a credit to the 24-year-old Marozan up to a new career high, 65 as a result of making his first 1,000-level quarterfinal. But he just couldn't hurt Hubie consistently enough with pace through the forehand wing, which obviously is the playbook to knocking off Hercots. And so Hercots was able to impose himself. Hercots was able to move forward fairly unimpeded. Again, Hercots, another three-set victory uh, to advance to the semifinals in Shanghai. Again, semifinals now back-to-back 1,000-level events in Shanghai and Cincinnati. That is where things stand uh, in Shanghai. Now, again, quarterfinals tomorrow will be Umber versus Rublev. Rublev, the 67.6% favorite, 3-2 head-to-head. Yari versus Dimitrov. Dimitrov, the 67.4% favorite, according to the Tennis Abstract Singles Forecast. Yari, 2-0 in the career head-to-head. For what it's worth, Hercot starts as a 61.4% favorite against Korda, 1-1 is the career head-to-head there. That is where things stand in Shanghai. Took a little bit longer on that than I anticipated, but for what it's worth, just quick other men's notes uh, to turn to your attention. Turning into a really fun set of semifinals at the Fairfield Challenger. Speaking of young Americans on the rise, Alex Mickelson, the 19-year-old, he wins a title this week in Fairfield. He'll crack the top 100 for the first time. He's into the quarterfinals where now he will face rising Stanford sophomore Nishesh Basavaretti. I have joked about this before, but on the backhand tiers list, Djokovic, Zverev, Korda, honest to God, Basavaretti might be fourth on that list. Watch this, the teenager hit backhands and you'll start to say, wait, what's his pro upside? And the question is, how healthy? Can he stay? Of course, you've got Mickelson versus Basavaretti, Zachary Svida, who's won a couple of challenger titles related, I think two in his last three events. He's into another quarterfinal. Will he'll face Brandon Holt. You have former UVA number one, Alex Richard, taking on American veteran Mitchell Kruger, and then a potential Stevie Johnson tennis Sandgren quarterfinal. How fun would that American generational battle be at this point of the calendar as well? That's something to watch in Fairfield in Bratislava. Martin Dom now making back back-to-back quarterfinals. A credit to Martin Dom again. It's an impressive run uh, for the American who is absolutely in the midst of a career season. Dom as a qualifier again, reaching those back-to-back challenger finals. Now the 20-year-old up to a new career high, 277 in the live rankings. Not too shabby Martin Dom. And again, uh, I believe Gab Diallo got a 7-6 third set victory over Dominic Team. So, um, Shout out to me, uh, by the way, for making that prediction yesterday. And I'll continue to point out it's when, not if. 
Gab Diallo reaches uh, the top 100. And then last but certainly not least, top seed Tanasi Kokonakis knocked out in the Shenzhen Challenger. Nuno Borges now the favorite. Alex Kovacevic, the former Illini All-American, our guy here at Crack Rackets into the quarterfinals there. So just a few challenger things to keep in mind as we progress through another championship weekend over the next few days. That said, let's move over now to the WTA side of things. Again, three events we've been monitoring all week long. Let's start with the WTA 500 in Zhengzhou. I don't know if we saw anything surprising or, dare I say, out of character in the results that were generated over the past 24 hours. Now, of course, the big note on Shipper out of the quarterfinals, pulling out before her matchup against Daria Kasatkina. I will look up now. Why did Anjabur pull out of that match? It's a good question to ask. She withdraws, unfortunately, due to injury. Uh, needed five match points to see off Lucia Bronzetti in the round of 16. Did Jabur, but of course, Jabur uh, forced withdraw due to a knee injury. Now, she's already clinched her spot in the tour finals. So hopefully this is precautionary more than anything else. And we will see her back at her best, whether it be in Cancun or before then. But again, all due respect, looking at yesterday's results, I I don't know if there's anything for us to spend that much time on. I said yesterday, this feels like it's going to be one of those strange Krechikova weeks. She can never seem to get her momentum going when she would like it to be going at the biggest event. But this week in Zhengzhou, 5-1 for her over Petra Martic. Krechikova looking to make a push back towards the top 10. Where is she right now? Krechikova currently 18th. A title this week, though, she'll be all the way back up to either 12th or 11th. So again, the margins between 11 and 20, very thin right now in the rankings. Krechikova threw in straight sets, was never really tested against Petra Martic. Same deal, Daria Kasakina, 2 and 4 victory. What court, I'm curious, is that quarterfinal number 10 for Kasakina this year? It's got to be near there. You look for Daria Kasakina now here in 2023, 37 and 23 overall. It's her eighth eighth quarterfinal of the season that comes after she of course made eight quarterfinals last year as well that's how you keep yourself in the top 20 folks eight quarterfinals is a top 15 number amongst top 50 players on the WTA tour so again another quietly sneaky good result for Kasatkina you know again uh, Jabur, the winner. You also did have Siegemann three sets over Ludmilla Samsonova. I thought it was a schedule loss more than anything else for last week's Shanghai. Uh, excuse me, Beijing. Beijing or Shanghai? Beijing was where the women were last week. Last week's Beijing finalist, uh, Samsonova, knocked out in three sets. But again, that she was playing this week. Maybe didn't need to coming off of the 1,000 level action last year. That said, hey, Samsonova's always going to take that opportunity to play hard court events, right? In my opinion, one of the 10 best hard court players we have in the world still. It's a big result for the qualifier, Siegmund. You look for her overall on the year now. It is, I believe, at the tour level, her second tour level quarterfinal of the season. Siegmund had fallen outside of the top 100 with this result back up to number 90, which again should solidify a spot in the Australian Open main draw if she can hold on to that place. That sets up your quarterfinals in Zhengzhou, and we will lead with the women tomorrow. That I promise to all of you listeners should we have a show, but quarterfinals are set. 
It'll be Krejcikova versus Lasia Serenko. Krejcikova, the heavy favorite there. She's also in the career matchups. Oh, she trails Love 1 to Serenko. You also have Kalinina, as we discussed yesterday, 2-0 and in her career head-to-head with Jung Chin Wen. And then the massive opportunity, all unseeded players remaining in the bottom half of the draw qualifier. Laura Siegemund going to take on Jasmine Paolini. Again, Paolini quietly in the midst of a career season, a semifinal at this 500-level event, perhaps the feather in the cap to signify that point. But that's where things stand right now. Chin Wen, a 28.8% favorite, but again, that's probably because in her bottom half of the draw, there are only players ranked outside the top 30. After that, Kasekina, 28.1%, but of course, that's because she's already through to the semifinals. Krejcikova, 20.6% after that. They're saying it's a three-player race. I think my prediction was Krejcikova over Chin Wen yesterday. I've seen nothing to dissuade me from that prediction as it relates to Jung Zhou. So that was your results there on Thursday. Of course, over in Seoul, top seed Jessica Pagula was just a little bit better at Young American, one of the six teenagers in the top 100, Ashlyn Kruger. Pagula was just a little bit better at, at everything. And I do think if I'm Ashlyn Kruger, and I'm not saying she didn't do that, how would I know? I'm not there. But I am looking at Jessica Pagula in that handshake, and I'm saying, hey, do you need, like, a sparring partner in the offseason, or can I just be the mini-me? I know you're a top-five player in the world. I know you're married. You have your own life. You're trying to do your own thing, but if you need a hitting partner throughout the offseason, can I just shadow you? Because I do think there are some serious parallels between Kruger and Pagula's game, and I do think the best version of Ashlyn Kruger looks a lot like what we see from Jessica Pagula right now. If I'm Team Kruger, again, I'm just saying, hey, you want a 19-year-old mini-me who's going to be with you in the gym everywhere and pushing you, and again, you say jump, not only how high, but how many times would you like me to jump as I'm jumping? Or I'll just keep jumping, and you tell me when to stop, Jess. Kruger didn't play poorly. Pagula was just one shot better in every rally. I know three and one sounds lopsided. It really wasn't. That was a really fun match. Of course, a shout out to our girl, Amina Bactis, the former Michigan Wolverine All-American, into another quarterfinal uh, at the tour level. Second of her career, second of the season. I mean, you look at what the 30-year-old has done this year, 47 and 17 overall. She won 73% of her matches. She's on top 100 watch. She's 108 in the world, two victories away from a top 100 debut. Bottom half of the draw is open. She's got Kimberly Burrell in the quarterfinals, the winner of Yua Yuan, uh, Yuan Yua and Marie Boshkova in the semifinals. In terms of a 250 draw, quarterfinals onward, hard to ask for more than that. And again, Bechtis just has weapons, such an exceptional volleyer. 30 years old, she's closing in on a top 100 debut. Shout out persistence. Shout out Amina Bechtis, quarterfinalist in Seoul. Of course, the best matchup, Pagula going to face another young American now in Claire Liu. Pagula is a 66.9% favorite. I would be shocked. This Again, it, this feels like a massive title week for Pagula. I said yesterday, her versus Boshkova in the final. I have seen nothing to dissuade me of that fact. Your other winners, again, Boshkova, Kimberly Burrell on the day. That's your action in Seoul. And then, last but certainly not least, Hong Kong. How about Layla Fernandez? From a set down, 3-6-6-1-6-3, she just frustrated the heck out of Mira Andriva in their round of 16 battle. And look, we know when Layla Fernandez is at her best, when she's using her speed to take that ball early on the rise, 
beat you to the spot, redirecting pace, finding short angles, doing all these different little things. She did them exceptionally well. Like, no ifs, ands, or buts about them. Again, her persistence when Andriva was throwing high and heavy and just trying to do anything possible to push Layla Fernandez back behind the baseline. It was successful in set number one. Fernandez's launch trajectory was just off. She was not where she wanted to be positioned. And, you know, again, Andriva's physicality, her ability to absorb a little bit of pace, again, her ability to really elevate that ball, not just over the net with height, but then with depth into the court. Given the size of Fernandez, that ball got on her hip, early, uh, got on her shoulder real fast. So, what was the adjustment for Fernandez? All right, I'm going to take that ball as a swinging volley. All right, I'm going to play. The, I'm going to play back with some height, some pace back to you and Andriva, who then seeds that ground and will drop back and let that ball bounce to her waist side. You know, then it's, Fernandez is sneaking forward behind that, or Fernandez is continuing to redirect down the line and taking returns early on the rise. Fernandez gets an early break of Andriva. You could just see on Andriva's face in that third set, she had lost the thread. It's a fantastic win for Layla Fernandez into another quarterfinal. She's currently sitting at 58 in the live rankings, another victory. She'll be up to 56 if she wins a title this week. She still would not recrack the top 50, but again, it's just what the doctor ordered for Layla Fernandez wins down the season's home stretch, whether it be Montreal, Cleveland, Guadalajara, now Hong Kong. Again, she's now made quarterfinals at what? Three of her last six events. Not too shabby for the former U.S. Open finalist, still just 21 years old. Again, any other 21-year-old, 56 in the world, that's something to get excited. Or 58 in the world is something to get excited about. The problem is this 21-year-old happens to have already made a U.S. Open final still. Credit to Leila Fernandez. Three-set win over Andriva. Again, I've talked about the Fruvertova lost 14 of 16 matches streak before. She's now into another quarterfinal here to end the season. Of course, she made a semifinal a couple weeks ago in Ningbo, won a match in Beijing, now the win here in Hong Kong. More than anything else, what does that do for Fruvertova? It's just going to keep her inside the top 100. It's just going to, again, ensure she gets into that Australian Open main draw where she has round of 16 points to defend next year. A good win for her over the talented Kornieva, the 16-year-old junior Australia, junior French Open champ this year. 6-3-7-5 win for Fruvertova. That backhand, that steadiness, ultimately winning out. That's a fun matchup. Fernandez-Fruvertova, one we may see a couple of times over the next decade. And, you know, again, if by seed, this is the steadiest draw remaining in Hong Kong. You've got Sarah Cerebez-Tormo, who earns a three-set win over Wang Xinyu, a match that was as good as advertised. Such a fun contrast in playing style. Those two always do battle again. Cerebez-Tormo is just back. You look for the Spaniard now back up to number 52 in the live rankings, imposing her will physically, death by a thousand paper cuts. Just the injuries have subsided. It's great to see her back healthy, playing better tennis again. She'll take on fifth seed and Anna Blinkova in the quarterfinals. You've got Trevisan versus Mertens, both holding seed. Uh, Mertens, excuse me. And then how about Pavlichenkova? 751661 can still hit the hell out of the ball. Ken Pav, she'll take on the big hitting Sinyakova in the quarterfinals. Let's change balls every five games, perhaps, in that one. Right now, it's anyone's game. That's what Tennis Abstract's saying. Fernandez, 19.9, Cerebez, Tormo, 19.1, Pavlichenkova, 18.7, Mertens, 18%, Mertens, 18%. 
anyone's ball game. Again, that might be the most level draw we have remaining. No outsized favorite. Fun scenarios, no matter how you cut it. So again, we got a lot of action to monitor this weekend. Hopefully, we will have a podcast for you all tomorrow. And again, both Westoff and I are out of town this weekend. Nevertheless, we know it's our job to keep you up to date on everything happening in the tennis world. We will do our best to continue to do so. Of course, a shout out as always to the aforementioned super producer Daniel Westoff for the f- of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible. A massive thank you to him. A thank you as well to our dear friends at Tennis Point. You all know the deal. Tennis-point.com. Use the promo code CR15 for all of the latest and greatest products in the tennis world. With that said, for the fantastic super producer Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.